Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Today, we're joined by Jimmy Kyo. Jimmy is the head of digital sales at Vodafone. I've known Jimmy for many, many years. and I was keen to have him on the show as somebody who's really grown up in a very much a sales ethos in through to leadership today. He's doing some incredible things by way of transforming organizations from a digital sales perspective. And he's a lot to say in that regard. So welcome to the show, Jimmy. Hey, Ross. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Well, look, let's dive right in here. So um, take me through your career thus far to date. You know, what's brought you to where you are now and some of those kind of key inflection points and decision trees you took along the way, if you would. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, how far back do you want to go? You want to go back to the beginning, beginning? Um, well, I suppose you're, a, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed coming out of education. Uh, why did you go to where you went to? And, uh, you know, keep, keep a summary in there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What those main points along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why did I end up where I am? So I came out, I studied computer programming in Carlow Regional Technical College or Carlow ITC as it is now. Um, but very quickly Ross realized I'm not smart enough to be a software developer and, uh, and realized this is not for me. And, and I, ended up in a, I ended up working in a company called Datapack many, many years ago as the computer repair guy. Um, I was okay. fixing computers, fixing stuff for, for customers. And um, and I remember after after a couple of years of that doing really well at it, seeing the sales guys driving around in their BMWs while I was driving driving around in my Fiat Uno van, um, mm. thinking to myself, you know, what they're doing, they're out helping customers, they're out finding solutions, um, they seem to have a good life, they're getting paid a lot more money than I was getting paid, and they're not doing anything that I I don't think I could do, so. At the time, I had a conversation with the with the MD at the time, a guy called David Laird, and, and David backed me and said, yeah, you know what, Jimmy, we think you could be a sales guy. And uh, literally gave me a set of accounts, gave me a, a, a mobile phone at the time, a, a car, a set of accounts and a target and off you go and, uh, and, and ended up in sales. Um, very in a very different path to the way people get into sales nowadays when they you know, sometimes start as an SDR and work their way up and in inside sales, then move to the field. That None of that existed back then because inside sales didn't really exist except maybe in Dell. Um, so it was it was into sales, a couple of accounts, target, off you go, and and I found my home and loved it. Uh, thought I was really good at it. I could empathize with people. I could listen. I could, I could help them find problems. I could leverage my technical background to have a, an insightful conversation quickly to fix some pain. And, and before I knew it, I was, I was leading a small team um, and that started my journey in management. Uh, and again, at the time, very little formal education about how to be a manager, um, but I went off and started reading and, and did lots of my own work with Ken, not work, but reading with Ken Blanchard. So that was my Bible around how to be a manager and how to be a leader. You know, the one minute manager. Quiet. I've been through it many times. It's fantastic. And it's, it's so simple and fundamental. But if you're if you're coming into your first manager's job, if you can go and read Ken Blanchard's One Minute Manager and learn not to be the chief problem solver, 
you know, not to be carrying the monkey on your back and, and learn how to trust and delegate and give people autonomy to go and be themselves without trying to micromanage them, it'll set you off on the right path really quickly. Um, so that's what I did. Uh, yeah, so studied Ken Blanchard's books and they're still here behind me on the bookshelf. Um, interestingly, my wife is studying, uh, my wife's a college lecturer and she's studying leadership herself. And uh, she asked me, where should she start? And there she got the four little books from Ken Blanchard, read those. Um, and again, all really insightful. So started there, got my first management gig. Um, you know, and by then I'd probably been working for, I'd probably been working for 10 years at that stage, but only a, kind of three or four that was in sales. Um, and then uh, ended up in, uh, in VMware for a couple of years and ran the channel for VMware. So that was an individual contributor role, but ultimately ended up as the country manager for VMware. Uh, went back to Datapack then as their as their sales director, so running the whole sales organization. So I'd gone from managing a couple of people in Datapack to back running the, the whole sales organization. Um, I did that for a couple of years and then then took my first step into inside sales. And that was where that was an Oracle in Dublin. Um, and a guy called Killian O'Grady, we made no Killian backed me, gave me my first job uh, in inside sales. And the reason I went to that, Ross, was obviously because you, you know, we saw back in, in those days in Dublin in the early, you know, the, the 2010s-ish, 2005, 2010s, 2015-ish, a lot of the US companies that were landing into Europe were coming to Dublin, London, or Amsterdam. So yeah. there was lots of opportunity to develop and for sales leaderships, leadership roles in those sort of organizations. So I spent an amazing couple of years at Oracle and I learned more in those four years at Oracle that I probably had in the rest of my whole career. More, I mean, more formally in terms of your leadership development and, and teaching you just skill, sales skills and leadership skills that you, know, you just don't get working for some of the smaller organizations where you, you become successful by you know, hard work and, and uh, an effort and a bit of luck. There's a program that you go through in those larger organizations, which I was um, lucky to benefit from. And, and dad working with some amazing leaders so Gavin, I worked for Gavin for a couple of years in there. Um, amazing yeah. guy to learn from and, and still mentors me to this day. Um, and, you know, David from Datapack still mentors me. So those, those couple of leaders were, were amazing to still work with or to still learn from. Um, so that was Oracle for a couple of years. Um, had an amazing time. And, then I, and since then, I spent some time at EMC. Um, had an amazing time with, with Software AG, where we built their inside sales organization for them here in Dublin. Um, a couple of years there, I kind of really showing my age now, and uh, <laughs> and then the last the last three years have been a, a an amazing time at Vodafone, where I'm running the the B two B inside sales organization. So that's that's the journey. So let's get into that. So um, some some notable takeaways there for sure. And I suppose one of the things that I try and convey to our listeners is how dramatically. Um, things have changed in the last 20 years. I had uh, an old friend of mine, Ryan Scherzer, on the show a number of years ago. Uh, sorry, last season, should I say, that we worked together a number of years ago, whereby, you know, he said that there seems to be a them and us with outside sales and inside sales, that one is inferior to the other and vice versa. Mm. And that's not the case at all. And I actually think, and this is well seen across the SaaS space in particular, where organizations are born uh, inside, right? Yeah, that, um, 
the, the, the reason for that is you can be more agile, you can be more profitable, you can convey messages. And it's particularly relevant in a pandemic where you can't go and visit customers. It's just not allowed. Network yeah. prospects. Um, and actually it forces you to be more articulate, to be more empowering and emotive with tools like, you know, Zooms and, and, and uh, live demos and trials and so on. But maybe could you just share with us some of your learnings from that massive shift of what I call old school selling and marketing, where marketing was we print a brochure and sales yeah. was, well, the printed brochure goes under the arm of the sales guy who goes out in his car and visits someone um, and talks the talk and hopes for the best and does a handshake. So what's that shift been like for you in terms of inside selling and the demands on inside guys uh, these days? And, you know, what, what's been your learning throughout that process, if you could share with us? Yeah, got it. It absolutely is a transformation. Um, so I, lots of points to your questions there, Ross. So if I don't address them all, make sure I'm dragging me back to answer. Um, the first piece around the, the value of inside sales has changed so much, right? So again, you know, in the old days, inside sales was the typically the bag carrier for the field sales guy, right? And was in the back office doing some admin stuff. You know, thankfully those days are gone and are gone for a long time. When you see all of the... Um, all of the tech natives that are starting up now and then starting for the last 10 or 15 years, they start inside first, right? That's what they do. They, you look at all of the organizations that are landing out of the US into Dublin, Amsterdam or, or London, they're typically serving their, their corporate or their commercial customers from a digital slash inside sales um, perspective first. And they're, you know, they're, their largest enterprise are still served with, with White Glove. And there's lots of reasons that's happening. Uh, let's look at some of them. Firstly, it was happening before COVID anyway. Um, mm. But if you go back and look at some of the stats, uh, I, I have a paper that we put together within Vodafone that talked about this change that's happening. And some of the stats are amazing. So, so Salesforce had a stat that showed 92% of a field sales reps interaction with a customer was digital anyway. And just think about that. So even though the sales guy is going out to see people, actually 92% of their interactions are digital anyway, because they're doing email, they're doing phone calls, they're doing quick catch-ups, they're doing presentations online. So they're doing all that anyway, right? So, so and what you found then is, there was another stat, I think it may have been Forrester, and apologies if I'm misquoting some of the analysts here, um, that 70% of people actually don't really want, and this is pre-COVID, don't really want to see people face-to-face -face anymore anyway, for specific types of purchases. So if you're a customer and buying something that you're comfortable with, and remember the stat from Gartner, so 62% of the buying journey is completed now before anybody ever sees a salesperson. Yeah. Right? And that's because the customers are more knowledgeable because yep. the first, I know we're not in video here, but the first thing that you do, if you ask, if, if the customer thinks I've got a problem, I need something X. What's the first thing they do? They'll pick up their phone, they'll swipe up and they'll open Chrome or Safari or whatever it is and Google something. So, and they've gone and done that level of research before they ever speak to a sales guy. So they've gone much further along the journey before they ever need to speak to anybody from sales. And, and, and we'll, we'll talk to you about your, the value of marketing now in, a moder in the modern buying journey in a second. So your customer has gone much further along the buying journey than they traditionally would when I was a sales guy. When I was a sales guy, I was out educating the customer. Now the customer is educated. And when I come to him or her, I need to be adding some value that's different 
than coming in trying to qualify them. I, I, I can't do that. I can't just rock in and so tell me about your business. It's like, what do you, why, why would you expect me to do that? Um, so that buying journey has changed. Um, and inside allows people to be much more responsive to that because as I said, customers now don't necessarily want to see people anymore because they don't have time. They don't want to book a car park space. They don't want to do all the coffee stuff. They're buying something that they have done their research on and they're ready and they know what they need. So that what they're looking for is somebody who's responsive, knowledgeable, and who can meet their demands and meet them quite quickly. You know, let's have a 25 minute call. Let's do it on Zoom, let's do it on Teams. Let's just do a telephone call. Let's get that done and let's move on. And that's what that, that because, because customers are now more knowledgeable, they're happier to engage that way. Now, don't get me wrong there still is absolutely the need. If you're transforming something within an organization, if you're rolling out a global ERP or you're massively transforming some aspect of their business, you absolutely do need somebody, you know, there will be people on site and there will be all that engagement. But if you're buying a, you know, a SaaS service or any sort of service that's not transformational, that the sales cycle is, you know, a couple of months, that's all now digital. And it can be all done digitally, and the customers expect that to be. Um, let me answer your point about marketing, where the marketing, where marketing needs to change is. So let's go back to that stat from Gartner that says 62% of the buying journey is done before they speak to a sales guy. So they're not going to speak to the sales guy. So the question marketing has to answer now, and some organizations are answering this really well, is how do you get in front of that? And how do you be front of mind for your customer? When they don't even know, you know, they're not talking to you. They're not actively going out to you. So what, what's marketing, marketing's answer? And as you said, it's not printing out the brochures and giving them to the sales guys to go anymore because no, nobody does that anymore. Nobody needs the physical brochures and not nobody, but most people don't need those physical brochures. They need to be getting ahead of the customer buying journey so that when the customer is starting that research and they go and look for, okay, so I've, I have a problem. I need to improve my sales productivity by 15%. What, you know, and I, and I searched that. What am I going to find? I, you know, that's where marketing now comes into play to be ahead of that buying journey and are there and present when the customer starts looking for solutions. So they're finding you and then you're, you know, you on your website or through your social channels, you're adding value and you're constantly nurturing those people and letting them know, look, yeah, I'm here. This is what I do. And marketing play has such a valuable role now in creating in creating that early demand and bringing people to you. Um, you know, again, to go back to the old days of cold calling. Like cold calling is still has a place, right? But it's not very efficient. Whereas, if you've got your marketing engine turned on properly, a marketing is finding the right people, nurturing them, is capturing when they've interacted with some of your content or some of your social, and then. You know, if I'm trying to get in touch with Ross and I know that you've touched some of my content and you've engaged with us socially. So then when I go and have a conversation with you, I'm bringing insight, I'm bringing knowledge, I'm bringing, I'm bringing experience and I'm bringing the comment to go, look, Ross, I know you've engaged with some of our content. By the way, here's another paper you might be interested in. And then I'm, yeah. I'm nurturing you and I'm bringing value. I'm not cold calling you out of the blue to try and qualify you because that's just like from a customer experience perspective, like 
welcome to the 80s. You just, you just, you just just don't do that sort of stuff anymore, right? So, so that's all the stuff that I think is going on. Um, I don't know, did I answer all the bits of your question? Yeah, no, I think that's very much the case. And that's been my experience as well. I think from my own kind of learnings, HubSpot really taught me that it's it's all about giving away value up front yeah. um, and being front and center of a decision-making process that uh, is already underway. And yeah. the stat they used to say was from their own research, it was up to 70% of the buying journey is actually done. So what yeah. Brian Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot always says is, ABH always be helping. So as you said, if somebody's downloaded content, they're like, okay, looks like you're investigating the following. Where are you at in that process? And here's another supplementary piece of content, yeah. video-led tutorial, perhaps a white paper, an ebook, etc. Or you know, in a lot of cases, trials. And um, so you know, my wife works in Oracle, and, and that's one of their big go-to markets now. They're shifting from being kind of a an old school upsell and um, outreach piece to being very much a trial-led engagement model based on yeah. consumption. And yeah, then yeah. the beauty part is, is that if, if, if uh, you know, an Oracle cloud platform uh, has been seeded into a, a, a potential prospect, you can check their homework to see what work they're doing therein um, yeah. and hold people accountable from that perspective. It's a completely different way of, of working. Um, I'm curious to know, um, from your own experience and anecdotally with this um, you know, new way of working and traditionally the tools of the trade would have been a car, as you mentioned, you know, maybe a black book um, yeah. and, uh, and, and then a mobile phone or a walk around phone as um, yeah. someone used to say when they first came out that I knew. Um, they were the tools of the trade, right? Yeah. Days, and my dad always says that business is all about relationship. And I still think that's the case and that's not going to go away. Yeah. But those are the tools of the trade. What are the tools do you see in your organization? Maybe if you could share with us a bit about what Vodafone do, where they've moved to in this digital age. And then also, what are the tools that I might have as a sales rep in my arsenal or my desk drawer, my virtual desk drawer, as it were, that let me know that a prospect is doing these activities that might be relevant to me? Yeah, yeah, a really good question. So, so again, it's it's transformed hugely in the last, the last 10 years. And, and even actually here in Europe, we're still a couple of years behind what you see some of the really advanced tech companies in the US doing. Um, like interestingly, we were, we were, I was having a conversation with a, a colleague who runs a field sales organization in the US recently. And, and he, was get, he was upset by... Uh, his version of me, who was telling him that the fully loaded cost included about seven grand of technology. And he, he couldn't get this because, mm -hmm. because my field reps, he said, only cost me a thousand euros for my CRM license. Why is the inside guy costing me seven grand? And, <clears throat> and what I went through, but, but that's the value, right? That's, that's, that's the differentiator for the, the inside guy versus the field guy, because they're using so much tools and technology to give them data to help them be, be more efficient. Because again, go back, go back to what inside sales was 10 years ago. It was effectively corporate account management just behind the phone. But that, that's, that's, that's progressed now to where digital management or digital uh, account management is that same behind a virtual piece of technology, whether it's a phone or a video, but we're layering them up with tools and technology and data to help them be more efficient. So the tools that a modern a digital sales organization is using. So clearly we're heavily relying on social because you look at you know all, most CEOs in B2B tech of a large organization are somehow engaged in using social to, to research or to learn or to connect, right? So it's using social and not 
not social the way I presume you get them as well. You get that random LinkedIn connection and, you know, and three minutes later you get the pitch. You know, it's not that, yeah. absolutely not. It's the, it's the using it to nurture and to build relationships and interact and not blast and turning it, using it, using it as a conversation. The same way we use video and voice, social is just another way to have a conversation. And you should have a conversation with Liam Halpin at LinkedIn someday about this. He's super passionate about it. So use social to have that conversation. That's absolutely a core tool that we use, especially for our, our corporates. You know, SMEs are not always on it, but, but it's, uh, some are, but absolutely using social. Using data is a core part of what we have to do now. Uh, again, in the old days of here's a here's a Rolodex and here's a here's a here's a list of people just go call them. Again, not very efficient. So what we've been building it over over the last couple of years, not just us, most advanced digital sales organizations are using propensity to help guide the reps on what they should be selling. So that's that's finding the customers in an industry of a certain type of a certain size at a certain scale, a certain maturity who've bought certain products and maybe many other criteria, depending on the markets and segments and so on. And likely they should buy something like this because organizations similar to them have, have already bought it. So we've invested heavily in using AI to help guide where our reps should be talking to people and who they should be talking to and the conversations they should be having. Um, and that's all based on the more data you can pump into the machine, the more, you know, the more insights it's able to give you back. So, so AI is a, AI and propensity is, is huge. And, and even where AI, one of the tools we've trialed and we haven't rolled it out yet is, is looking at the, the inbound SDR function um, and actually replacing that with an AI engine, right? Because a lot of that inbound query can be can be handled by AI. So we haven't done that yet, but that's definitely something that um, is a is future tech that uh, that organizations will look at. Clearly, the, the the message is now clear. This need for face to face video has changed. Or sorry, face to face meetings has changed, and we're now all comfortable, whether we like it or not. We're comfortable now on Teams and on Zoom and on whatever that may be to interact to interact with people. So using video absolutely is a core part of it. Um, we we have some there's some really cool tech. And I don't want to go mention the individual technologies unless you want me to, Ross. Um, there's some really cool tech now to help understand uh, the rep conversations that they're having. Um, so there's you know there's there's this new piece, this new wave of technology called revenue intelligence or conversational intelligence. So you can understand. The conversations that your reps are having and there's a couple of different companies doing this understand the conversations that they're having and what are the insights you can use there to help coach your rep but equally to help understand the macro uh, impact across the economy and your customer base you know what are the trends and what are you seeing what are you hearing because you're not relying on a rep telling you you're based on you using an artificial intelligence engine to take the insights out of those calls um some really cool stuff happening there um, and then around, you know, how do you engage customers at scale? Again, how do you meet, how can those, one of, one of the ways digital sales reps can be more productive, obviously, is because they're not traveling, they can cover more customers. But covering more customers doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be more productive from a sales perspective, because that could just mean more problems and more customer issues to deal with. So how do you enable them to 
to go outbound at scale in a personalized way, but but a lot of with a lot of automation into it. So you know, there's a lot lot of companies you know, like Sales Often Outreach doing some really cool stuff to uh, to help outbound at scale. Um, there's some of the you know really cool stuff that's happening. Um, the AI piece really excites me around how we can how we can help our reps be more productive. You know, we're never going to replace our sales teams with AI. Well, I don't I don't think we are. Certainly not in my lifetime. Well, I could be that could be proven to be completely wrong in five years from now. Who knows? But but uh, with the way with the with with the pace, the way things are changing. But I still think back to what your dad said, right? Sales is about humans and people and relationships. That's not going to change. All of these tools and technologies that are accessible to inside sales organizations typically are just helping them be more productive and be more efficient and cover more customers at scale. So I, I fully agree with that. It's interesting what you said about AI. We've deployed AI in our data set um, quite recently, and it's been transformative to our business in terms mm. of where we're finding inflection points. And, you know, I always say that our, our value is not in, you know, a premises we may have purchased. Uh, our value is in the data that we have. Yeah. Um, I suppose, I suppose- data is, the, data is the new, I can't remember who said it, but data is the new oil. I think it might've been LinkedIn. I think that might've been LinkedIn. Reid Hoffman probably, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, indeed. And, and that's exactly right. And if you haven't figured out and uh, why you're not paying, you're the product. Um, I think is another one um, that, you know, that Google know effectively what you're doing nowadays. And um, they know how you think because they can track where you are, what your patterns are, et cetera. Yeah. And I suppose what's fascinating is that you could be on a chatbot on a website doing a query um, and actually not be speaking with a human being, but a machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that's that, and that's that's the point around that, you know, yeah. that, that inbound query, you know, you download a white paper, and all of a sudden you get a you get a an email immediately from a chatbot to say, "Hey Ross, I see you downloaded the paper. Can I help? Here's something else you might be interested in." And it's taken some data based on the industry and your company size and the metrics and the the data you have to prompt you with the right content. And it'll keep going with you and nurture you and keep you going until you know you, you trigger something that means you need to speak to a real human. But but you don't even know that, and uh, it stuff's really effective. One of the things that I suppose I found in hardware was that um, the, the close rate was pretty high. Um, I, I found that, uh, you know, when I worked at Dell, it was very much a functional requirement, right? It was, you need to have this product and, you know, you've negotiation, you've decision maker, and you get the deal done type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I found, particularly in software, the big shift is that, yes, there's functional requirements, but a vast majority of it is an, what I call an evangelical sale, um, which is this is a nice to have. If I look at HubSpot, that's very much the case. It's your business isn't going to fall over with this without this product, but it, it does have the uh, opportunity to transform the way that you actually work. So there's a yeah. mindset there. There's a transformation. Everyone's talking about digital transformation. I think is largely overused, quite frankly, because mm. it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but it actually, when you boil it down, means for me at least a different way of working. Um, but what that means from a sales rep's perspective is that often there's no end of opportunity. Actually, those days are gone. You know, the, the cold calling days of old Gil from the Simpsons, please buy for me. I really need this one type of stuff. Yeah. They're really gone. There's actually no end of opportunity. What's what's actually more, you know, more important to recognize today is where am I going to spend my time? And you touched on this a little earlier to get the best possibility of closing an opportunity. So close rates go down, but 
where you focus your time to build your pipe to get your close rate in sync with your targets and overachieving your targets, quite frankly, are um, really the crucial inflection points that I talk about today that I see are, are vital for reps. So I suppose my question to you, Jimmy, is like, what do you find from a, a prospect behavioral standpoint really is the difference that makes the difference that helps you have an element of self-qualification from the prospect's perspective. And I do this in recruitment all the time. I get candidates to self-qualify. It's you tell me why, you know, we should work together and same with clients. Um, and, then I, and then I have a conversation because our time's all valuable. But what do you find are the inflection points that make the difference in business where you can actually say with a level of certainty that pipeline is closable? Um, so if I, if, if I can try and read back what I, what I, uh, what I think you're trying to ask me, Ross, is uh, what are the, the key things we're looking for to understand the quality of an opportunity yes. or a, okay. So uh, we've, like any sales organization, have had our challenges around uh, spending lots of time on opportunities that were just being dragged along and we're not really engaged properly or, we're, you know, we are being used as that third quote. We've happened to us all um so we've put a lot of work over the last over the last year into our our upfront qualification um and, and we've rolled out a really tight methodology based on one of the industry standard methodologies to help us uh, again don't want to mention the name but to help us understand really quickly do we understand what the customer is trying to do um do we understand how they're going to measure that this will be a success or will be a worthwhile or that there is a return from what they're going to do. Are we speaking with somebody who's a, a champion and who can support us and who can help us through this journey? Or are we being kept at arm's length? And, you know, it's an email conversation with give me your quote by this day next week. Um, so we've, we've rolled out a methodology that we're rolling out across our whole organization to be to be, sorry, not across the whole organization, across some of our organization uh, at first, to understand the strength of and to be able to measure and put a score around an opportunity that one shows us the strength of it. Yeah. But sec secondly, shows us uh, are we engaged correctly, and if we're not, where are the gaps? Now, interestingly, that that right now is a that's a it's a work process and it's a, it's a way of operating and it's a, it's a, it's an operating model effectively that we're rolling out from a sales qualification perspective but again back to the technology question that will be superseded in the next couple of years as technology matures so if you go back to the revenue intelligence comment earlier there's some amazing technology um, with organizations uh, like Clara or like outreach who have some really cool technology that and, and even Salesforce Einstein that that puts a, an, an AI lens on your forecast and it'll put an AI lens on your opportunity and look at the gaps and look at your stale pipeline and look and, and just basically give you a picture of you know what your your organization your team are telling you the forecast is this but actually the, the, the artificial and the AI engine is saying you know what BS to that it's nowhere near that because based on the trends and, and what we've seen historically and based on where your deals are and the velocity or lack of velocity on deals, actually, this is where we think you're going to be. And that's going to play more and more an important part uh, in the next couple of years in terms of how we, how we qualify and how we forecast. You know, yes, the art and the science of forecast, but I think the data is going to drive that and make it much more 
much more accurate and again help us to be much more productive uh, as that technology matures in the next you know the next years i think what's the most exciting thing to me is that um technologies like this remove ambiguity yeah. it removes politics it removes the um sort of gut feel element i mean i i, I used to manage a sales rep and um, it's well over 10 years ago now and he had an unbelievable ability to get into some really high profile accounts and generate some great pipeline mm. and um you know he was talking to serious global players which would have been you know uh, quite frankly, you know, a quarter's target in one reps, um, you know, one deal, that right. sort of stuff. But the man couldn't close his desk drawer, quite frankly, all due respect to him, right? And he used to come to me and say, I said, okay, well, why why is this based on, you know, the classic band? Yeah. Um, why is this? And you, you, it was the days when, you know, you have to, you have to actually add notes to your CRM, yeah. you know, and he wasn't willing to do this. He was of the old school. Um, and I said, well, why is this deal going to happen? I have a good feeling. And I said, do you want me to go to the VP of your and tell them that my sales rep has a good feeling about a deal? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, we kind of laugh about it now. Um, but, but I suppose what technology has done is, I'm particularly interested in the sales conversations piece. I've explored it myself as well. Mm. Um, and want to feel very, very good about it. But I think it allows you to remove the... Um, you know, gut feel, the feelings, all that sort of stuff, the emotion, quite frankly, not that it's a cold hearted thing, but it's actually making decisions based on data. Yeah. Um, in God, we trust all others bring metrics as one of my leaders used to say to me. Um, and I love that because that's the way it should be. And I suppose from your own perspective, shifting gears here slightly, um, how do you feel leadership has changed uh, over the course of your career, Jimmy? Because I'm a big follower of the Ken Blanchard School of Management. I went through the courses we had at Dunn in Quest. It was how we lived, you know, the D1s to D4s and the S1s to S4 supporting coaching styles and all that kind yeah. of stuff. How do you feel technology has helped and what has leadership changed from the old school um, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves, kind of methodology, right? Yeah. To the, uh, I dare say, other extreme today where you have the snowflake generations of millennials who yeah. less them really, you know, and, and as, you know, some of the conservative movement would say, haven't been through a war. They don't know what hardship actually means. Their Instagram followers aren't up at the level they expect this with that kind of stuff. Snowflake territory. But what does that shift look like in your world from a leadership perspective, Jim? Oh God, yeah. So look, it has changed, and, and this is an obvious thing, right? It has changed massively from the from days of, as you say, the beatings will continue until morale improves, to uh, to you know a, a very modern uh, people centric uh, leadership style. And I've been lucky. Um, I uh, I I never. I never had the old school and the old style. I'd never worked for that 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 type of leader um, who would beat you until you you beat you into submission until you did what you were supposed to do or what you were told to do. Um, I've been very lucky through my whole career, as I everybody uh, I worked with were effectively coaches, coaches or supporters at heart. So my my all I've ever seen is supporting and coaching. That's all I've ever seen. And I've, again, I've worked for some amazing coaches. Um, so that transformation for me just felt natural, right? Because I, I didn't, as I said, never worked for that. So uh, so for me, it wasn't, it, it's not a big change. Um, and I haven't, I haven't had to change my style or adapt my style. Um, 
So I'm quite comfortable with it all. I just just kind of felt like the right thing to do. Um, in terms of the current generation and the slow snowflakiness, like there is a bit of that, and there's a good bit of entitlement. And you know, and I um, so my family uh, have a small hotel. Um, I don't work in it, but my my brothers do, um, and my dad still does. My mom is retired out of it. She got sense, got out of it. Um, and, you know, they've effectively been closed now, Ross, for a year, right? You know, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of it, but, but they've been closed and, and out of work um, for a year. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and that's, that's incredibly tough. And lots of SMEs and organizations like that have, have not been working for a year, or maybe worked for a couple of months. And, and yet people in our industry and in the tech industry, you know, our persecution is we've had to work from home. Right. And uh, and I don't know if we value the privilege that we all have. I agree. Able, you know, that we're 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 still getting paid. We're still working. Yeah. Maybe we're not doing 120 percent. But you know what? We're we're working. You know, the, the economy is still going for us. We're still earning. We're still able to support our families. And yeah, stuff is changing, you know, and stuff is tough. But actually, you know, we haven't got you know, back to your point. We, you know, we're not going through wars. We're not going through things like that. And um, we're still, we're still here. And I don't, I, I think there's a, there's a little bit of people not accept, not realizing how lucky we are, yeah. um, and not realizing how handy we have it versus the other side of the country or the other side of the economy that that doesn't. Um, and sometimes that does cause me a bit of frustration. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And this is obviously a much bigger political discussion. But um, I think there's a few stats that have really struck me recently just from having conversations with people. Um, 40% of the country are not working at the moment in the hospitality sector, yeah. in the service industry, etc. And the other side of that coin is, is that, you know, I'm very privileged as well, as is my wife. You know, we're both in this space whereby you know, we, we are working, albeit from home, and actually, quite mm. frankly, we have a, 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 a good quality of lifestyle as a result of that. And I, I feel I, pre, I feel privileged because I went through the bad times. I went through the 08s, the 010s, and the, the, the times when, you know, pennies were, were pinched and, um, you know, quite frankly, the, 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 there was Armageddon on the cards and, mm. you know, a good recession. You know, I would argue, you know, in a different way to the 80s and what our parents went through, but equally hard, and a vast majority of wealth was stripped away. And one of the interesting stats as well is that the mortgage market has not seen a decline. I know several brokers yep. who said business is absolutely booming at the moment because the people who are in the mortgage market are doing better and better and better and better. Mm. Um, and they're becoming wealthier uh, while others are left behind. And you know we have houses that are going in days. And there's two houses yeah. near where and they were sold within you know, a number of days of each other and people can't even view the things. Yeah, you know, that's how insane things have got. A friend of mine, a friend of mine was trying to buy a small holiday home in Kerry recently. And it was it was advertised that it was a doer upper. Mm -hmm. It was advertised that at, I think it might have been 60 or 70 grand. And he thought, yeah, you know what? I might get this for 80, 85. I think it went for 160. And it needs 100 grand done on it. And it's just there's still a lot of buoyancy out there. But then, as you said, there's a lot of people. Absolutely. I heard, I mean, David McWilliams' podcast, which I would be a big subscriber to as well, there, there's houses going, relisting, they're falling out. They're relisting them at the 60 to 70 grand that they were 
uh, at sale agreed on if maybe sales falls through they're relisted at that price and it can still go up another 60 or 70 grand and some of them don't yeah. even back in central heating yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing yeah. uh, so i think it's interesting another, another interesting stat that uh, you know and there's also a generation that are left behind who haven't reinvented themselves and talk about this old school thing is that in the u.s 70 percent of millionaires are first-time millionaires right. so there's this kind of constant churn and recycling and adaptation of technology and a flow and i suppose the only constant is change and that really epitomizes it for me mm -hmm. and you know and yeah albeit we're, look we're all very lucky in where we are and i think that that's the point is that we we need to be grateful and respect that fact Absolutely. and be hyper aware and um, so just just kind of as we conclude here and um, jimmy maybe if you could just share with me you know some insights into kind of what does culture and I suppose I often speak to CEOs who have, have taken the, um, the plunge into Europe or are about to, and I'm trying to convey this idea of the cracks or AIC just for clarification yes. and the narcotic variety, um, as I have to keep saying. Um, what is it that means to you and how do you define culture and how do you lead and, and promote culture and, and value set when you're, when you're heading up an organization? Yeah. Um... So, so for me, cu culture is answered by the question of how does it feel in your gut? How does it feel to work in an organization or work with an organization? Or, you know, what a, what's that feeling you get? You know, does it feel like this is a really good place who cares about their people and cares about their future? You know, or is, or is it a, a pure performance driven, you know, crack the whip? beating, 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 you know, get on the phone, drive numbers. Um, what, 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 what does it feel like? So that's what culture means for me. Um, and that's what I think about when I think about what, what's the culture in an organization. And how we, how we create it clearly uh, comes from the tone and the attitude and the behaviors of the leadership team. Um, and in any organization, uh, I'm leading, I'm very focused on trying to create an organization where people feel like they have a voice. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opinion. Um, we're even though, yes, there's organizational hierarchy. Actually, we're, we're trying to create a really flat organization that anybody can pick up the phone and talk to you and everybody's accessible. We're all human and we're not, you know, there is no, there's no corner office where, where Jimmy sits in and, you know, do not go there. Um, try to create that really comfortable organization that everyone feels everybody's equal and everybody has a job to do and we're all here to support um that's the sort of organization of culture i try and create that that one where people feel they're empowered they're supported they're they're happy to go and do their job they're not micromanaged uh, and and they can go and take some risks and not be too worried about it uh, that that we're going to fail because you know failure is fine all you're doing is capturing some data and we learn from it and move on um, so that's kind of where I try and focus, but that, that comes from the top and the leadership team and the way we all interact and the way we all behave, because you can have your corporate values and your corporate mission statements on, a, on the posters around the wall or the virtual posters, but it means nothing if we're not living it. And if the organization is not seeing that, you know, middle and upper management driving that and behaving that way, then it just, it's irrelevant. So, so that's my perspective on it. it. That's where I try and focus. That's the kind of organization and culture I want. I want it to feel like for people. Um, and I accept it comes from, from me and my team.
show the way, know the way, and go the way. I, I often heard it referred to as yeah. um, live and and I, I also there's a another methodology I use as well called servant leadership, which is like mm. again this idea of always be helping. It's not that you're subservient, but you're there to serve your people who are representing you. Absolutely, help and enable them. If you give them every tool to help them and enable them and encourage them and coach them, really, and that was one of the things I learned in Dell was that in order to be a leader, you actually had to be a coach first. And I think that's a great idea. Yeah because that's your job okay well look i really want to thank you for appearing today i think our listeners will get some great value out of this and i'd love to have you on again if you're open to it absolutely ross thank you very much it was great thanks for having me great stuff all righty you've been listening to the global tech leaders podcast designed for both established and aspiring career focused tech rock stars as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world For further details, check out sf-talent.com.